I very brazenly asked for a job running the Western Regional Office, being the highest career employee there. And uh, there'd never been a woman in that job in any of the 10 regions. And there'd never been a man under the age of 55. And I was a 32-year-old out lesbian. Well, damned if he didn't give it to me. (laughs) Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Happy LGBTQ plus Pride Month, everybody. You are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. This is Jason Patria, and I am super excited about today's episode because I have a fabulous guest. It is Lori L. Jean, who is the CEO of the Los Angeles LGBT Center, which I have been proud to serve on the board of directors for the past decade. But before we get to Lori, I want to talk to you a little bit about your brand. Now, last week, we talked all about those brand attributes and supersizing your words so that you're authentic, but you're unique and ownable. Now, one thing that really jumps out to me is this whole notion of words, because those words matter. We want to put pen to paper, but what matters more than your words is that you show up that way. You have to have actions and behaviors that people can see you do, that people can hear you say that ultimately allow them to describe you with those supersized attributes. So I am a huge fan of peeling the onion. That's right. I want you to think about your supersized authentic words and you've got to peel the onion back because you have to really understand the behaviors that you will repeat. Now, here's the easy way to think about it. If you are saying to me that that one of your brand attributes is uh, being innovative and creative or one of your brand attributes is, is uh, being reliable and a hard worker, Right. And again, you want to supersize those words so they're much bigger than that. But you need to peel the onion back. So I want you to imagine that you have been cast in the newest reality TV show and we have sent a reality film crew to follow you and they've been following you for the past two weeks. Now, you and I are sitting in the editing bay right now. We are watching hours and hours worth of tape. I'm going to ask you to think about if you said that you were hardworking, if you said you were creative and, and, and innovative, 
what is a date and time stamped example of where you showed up with actions and behaviors in the past two weeks? So think for yourself, whatever your word is, can you go back and date and timestamp specific situations? Once you have that, I want you to talk that out. What did you do? Who were you interacting with? What were the behaviors that you demonstrated? What was the impact? What was the value? Because you're going to find that your version of innovative and creative or your version of reliable and hardworking is very different from other people's. You are going to find the specific things that you do that you can repeat. Because if you want to show up as that word every single day, you want to show up demonstrating those behaviors in every meeting, on every project, because that is what leading with your brand really is. It is how you operate and show up with your actions and behaviors. Well, I am super excited for today's guest. It is Lori L. Jean, who is a nationally recognized as one of the most effective leaders in the LGBTQ plus movement. Now, Lori serves as the CEO of the Los Angeles LGBT Center, which is the world's largest organization serving the LGBTQ plus community. Prior to that, Lori was the executive director of the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, leading a turnaround and returning the task force to financial solvency. Now, she has been named by Out Magazine as one of the 50 most powerful LGBT people in the United States and by Los Angeles Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in Los Angeles. Now, while she's been serving at the helm of the Los Angeles LGBT Center, she has driven a period of unprecedented expansion, increasing the budget from $8 million to $150 million, growing the number of locations from 1 to 10, and the number of people served annually to over half a million. I will be back in just a few moments with Lori Jean. Happy LGBTQ plus Pride Month, everyone. It is June, and I still remember marching in my first Pride Parade with the University of Southern California all the way back in 1992. But you know, even though most of our Pride celebrations in person have been canceled, it is still a great time to do a little bit of self-reflection and personal development. Now, the Lead With Your Brand podcast has partnered with the Out and Equal Workplace Advocates, an incredible organization that advocates for workplace equality. And each week in June, we'll be featuring an out leader with an amazing career story and personal brand journey to share. In addition, I'll be hosting two special roundtable episodes of Lead With Your Brand, where we will explore issues around the trans experience and the intersectionality of race and ethnicity and being LGBTQ plus in the workplace. Now, Out and Equal will be providing discussion guides for each of our shows, so we encourage you to use the podcast as a virtual book club with your employees 
employee resource group or a group of friends. Listen to the episodes and then schedule your own group discussion with the discussion guide as part of your pride programming and celebration. Make sure you check out leadwithyourbrand.com backslash pride for more information and to hear some of our favorite shows from season one and two that feature LGBTQ plus leaders, including the fantastic CEO of Out and Equal, Aaron Uridas. Happy Pride, everyone. And we are back. I am here with one of my favorite people in the whole world. She is the CEO of the Los Angeles LGBT Center. It is Lori Elgin. Lori, how are you today? Jason, well, I'm with you. How could I be any better than that? (laughs) Well, it's like I haven't even seen you in real life in over a year. So I'm so excited to talk to you. I know it's insane that we haven't been able to see each other, but things are reopening. Exactly. Exactly. So, Lori, tell me, when you first meet people who don't know who you are, they don't know what the center is, how do you explain who you are and what you do? Oh, my gosh. You know, I've tried so many different ways over the years because the center has such a huge and complicated mission. But I usually start by saying my name and that I am the CEO of the world's largest LGBTQ organization. And that immediately sets people back on their heels because they don't expect that. And then they want to ask, well, uh, well, how are you the world's largest? Or isn't that HRC? Or isn't that so-and-so? And I said, well, no, it's not. It's actually the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Very cool. And so what are some of the exciting things that you're working on and that the Los Angeles LGBT Center is doing right now? Well, one of the most exciting and most frustrating at the moment is that we have been working hard to open up our newest affordable housing building for LGBTQ seniors. And it has been so delayed because of COVID, everything from workers being sick and so they couldn't complete things to the supply chain being interrupted. And we keep getting delayed. And we've got 98 seniors who are lined up desperate for an affordable apartment and it, they're beautiful. And we're just trying to get the final inspections done. And uh, hopefully by August, we'll have everybody moving in. That is amazing. And now, Lori, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is that you just have this storied career in the LGBTQ plus movement, right? Like you are one of these like iconic people in the movement. I even like think back earlier in your career, you were one of the highest ranking openly LGBTQ plus people who was working in the federal government at the time. And I know that you're coming up on a new a, a new era as you enter your final year before you go into retirement. So Lori, tell me, when you think back over your career, what have been some of the biggest career breakthrough moments for you? Well, you know, I decided that I wanted to work for our movement uh, when I was working in the Office of General Counsel at the Federal Emergency Management Agency. I applied to become the head of what was then the Human Rights Campaign Fund. And I made it to the two, uh, I was one of the two finalists. The staff unanimously endorsed me And the board chose the other candidate, the very wonderful Tim McFeely. And I thought to myself, why didn't I get this job? Did did sexism play a part of it? Well, yes, I think there was a component of that. But really, the truth was that Tim and I both had very similar resumes. We both had been lawyers. We both had managed 
uh, you know, smaller groups of people. We both had been activists in our spare time. Uh, he was a little older than me, but, you know, they chose him. And I thought, I don't have a resume that is that distinguishes me from other activists like me who want to move into the movement. Uh, and if I'm going to aspire to one of these top jobs, then I've got to beef up my resume. So yeah. uh, the head of my agency at the time was a 63-year-old black three-star general in the Army, uh, Julius Becton. And he thought he was going to lose me to this job. And when I didn't get it, he said to me, well, what, what would it take to keep you? And so I very brazenly asked for a job running the Western Regional Office, being the highest career employee there. And uh, there'd never been a woman in that job in any of the 10 regions. And there'd never been a man under the age of 55. And I was a 32-year-old out lesbian. Wow. Well, damned, if he, damned if he didn't give it to me. So <laughs> I headed to San Francisco from Washington, D.C. and uh, did that job. And that's where I was when someone came to me about the job of running the Los Angeles LGBT Center and urged me to apply. And I applied and uh, there were a lot of other activists who applied too, many who were more well-known than I. But by then, my experience in the region managing over a billion dollars of disaster funds and thousands of employees, uh, no one could compete with my resume. Yeah. So thankfully, the board uh, offered me the job and the rest is my wonderful history. Yeah. And, and I love that you said you brazenly asked for that role. So like, what was it in you in that moment when he said that? Like, how did, how were you able to just come out and say like, boom, I want this job? You know, I was a little scared about it, uh, but I had been thinking about moving back West. I'm from Arizona originally, and my folks were getting older and I knew that this job was open, but I never in a million years thought they'd consider giving it to me. And so when he asked me, it's just like, okay, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask for what I want. I'm going to take the opportunity. And I thought the odds were slim, but it, but it worked out. <laughs> and now I know that you've actually done two stints as the, the head of the Los Angeles LGBT Center. You went out and ran the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force for a while. What actually brought you back to the center? You know, um, when I left the center the first time, I never thought I would be doing movement work again. Uh, I figured, okay, I did my stint. I was one of the longest tenured leaders even then at only six years. And so I wanted to go and, and do something else. I started a business with friends and um, a venture capitalist took it over. And, uh, and then the task force was in trouble. And so they had asked me to come and help them. But that was when I realized I had really missed movement work. But what I really missed was the center's intoxicating combination of both policy and advocacy and, and service, making a difference in individual people's lives. The task force was all policy, and that's critically important work. But personally, I find so much fulfillment in seeing the homeless kid whose life get, gets changed because they've found their way to us or the, the isolated senior or the person with HIV, whatever it might be. So while I was gone, the center experienced some challenges and they were looking for a new leader. And one of the board members approached me and asked me if I would come back. And I had really missed the center and realized, okay, I said, look, I've got a contract with the task force. And they said, well, we'll wait until it's uh, that contract is up. So I was 
thrilled uh, that they were willing to wait because that has been the last 18 years of my life. And it's been probably the most fulfilling stage of my entire career. Wow. And we are all lucky for that. Um, Thank you for everything you've done. I mean, I always think of you as this amazing, inspiring person in the movement. And you're also this amazing business person, right? Because when I look at what you've done, I mean, you've taken the Los Angeles LGBT Center from having like an $8 million budget to like the largest budget of any or LGBTQ plus organization at right over $150 million. And you've overseen multiple capital campaigns that each one of them became the largest in the community and the movement. So when you kind of look back about expansion that you talked about, what are some some of those breakthrough moments for you where you really had to like up your game in order to help the organization succeed? Well, you know, really early on, uh, I mean, when I first started at the center in 1993, they had just opened up a brand new building that was the result of the first capital campaign in the queer world. And it was phenomenal, but it wasn't big enough. And they had known when they were doing the planning that they really needed 75,000 square feet, and we only had 44,000 square feet. And within a couple of years, we were bursting at the seams. So uh, we had to look for another site and run a whole nother capital campaign. And I'd never done anything like that. And so uh, I had to learn how to do it. I had to get some help uh, in doing it. And then I had to screw up my courage and ask, (laughs) ask people for gifts the size I'd never asked anybody for. And that new site so thrilled our community because it was more than just a a building where we were providing social services and medical care and legal services and those kinds of things. This This was a community center where we celebrated our wellness and we had a gallery and we have a couple of theaters there and and everybody came there, our donors and our clients. And so that really put the center on a different kind of a path. Yeah, and I remember the opening day of The Village because it was one of the first times I volunteered for the center. I was a West Hollywood cheerleader and I performed with Nell Carter at the opening, (laughs) if you can remember that. I absolutely remember that. In fact, I think I have a very lovely picture of you, Jason. <laughs> and then, of With course, quite a skirt. <laughs> we'll we'll try and keep that off of social media. Now, Lori, tell me, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Because I'm sure this wasn't even a possibility in your mind. <laughs> I wanted to be a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I grew up on a farm and I had my, I wanted a horse, but I only had a mule when I was little. I remember my first pair of cowboy boots and I wanted to be a cowboy. And then, you know, my dad, who was old school, sort of, you know, tried to let me down gently that I couldn't be a cowboy, that girls weren't cowboys. And, uh, and then my next thing was I wanted to be a veterinarian. Mm. And he said, uh, well, no, you know, girls can't be veterinarians. Um, oh, no. You, you, unless you wanted to just take care of dogs and cats. And it, girls don't do the big stuff. And he knew I liked the bigger animals because we by then we had horses and livestock and all of that. So the, the next time I decided on something, I decided, well, I'm not going to listen to my dad because I think I can't <laughs> do any of these things. So the next thing I decided was a lawyer. And that is, in fact, what I stuck with. I was a, always from a young age, 
my mom said I was always fighting for the underdog. And I think I realized deep inside, long before I knew I was a lesbian, that something was different about me and that, that I needed to fight for everyone to be treated fairly. And I knew that lawyers were the ones who made the laws and changed the world, I thought. And so that's the direction I went in. Mm. And then how did you move from being a lawyer into, you know, working for FEMA and then ultimately being part of the movement? Well, you know, I was an activist through college on feminist issues. And then when I came out my last year in college, I began doing queer activism. So I became a a young lawyer with FEMA, with their Office of General Counsel, and I did my activism in my spare time. And over the years, I realized I was enjoying being an activist a lot more than I was enjoying being a lawyer. And so that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to try to get one of these jobs. But back then, the salary scales were really, really horrible. And uh, I had law school loans to repay. So I had to aspire to one of the top jobs. So, you know, I told you the story about HRCF. I applied for that one. That didn't work out. But three and a half years later, I ended up getting the job at the center. And that, that set me on the path. Very cool. Now, let's talk a little bit about your brand. How would you describe your brand as an executive and a CEO, even maybe a leader in the movement? I feel a little immodest in describing my brand, but I'm just going to jump in because you asked. And I would describe it as passionate and persistent excellence, unimpeachable integrity, and willingness to help others. Oh, wow. So tell me, how do you show up with those things? How do you show up at work? How do you show up in the work that you do in those ways? I approach my relationships with various stakeholders with warmth and and passion and humor. I try to always be honest. And sometimes in the fundraising business, uh, that can be a challenge because, <laughs> you know, a donor might make a comment that you th- you completely disagree with. And so I've had to learn to navigate my way through a, a silent, you know, disagreement by silent omission, which I did in the early days as I was less confident, to now more diplomatic ways to express my opinion. I try to always to approach these relationships um, with that openness and, and honest honesty. And I try to keep the bigger picture in mind and of what's best for our community and our movement, not necessarily what's best for the center, although I care deeply about that. And I always try to think, how would I want someone to treat me? And I try to treat them that way and, and offer help anytime I can. Yeah. And now, Lori, talk to me about how has your brand evolved over time as you've matured as a leader, right, as the movement has changed? How has your brand needed to change? Well, you know, I would say that I didn't really realize at first what would be important to me and how I would develop. I mean, I've always been a um, someone who was honest to a fault and that sort of thing. But you know, when I first arrived at the center, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never run a nonprofit. <laughs> I'd, I, I'd been on boards, but, you know, I had to learn on the job. And I followed someone who was very highly regarded and uh, nobody knew me because I moved to town to take the job. So right at the beginning, I thought, OK, what message do I want to put out there? 
So I felt like my message wanted to be uh, that I, about professionalizing the organization and leveraging business acumen and an entrepreneurial spirit to more significantly advance our movement work. Well, you know, I'd been a lawyer for the government. I hadn't exactly been an entrepreneur. Uh, I hadn't exactly had what people might think of business acumen. But as I talked about these things, and this was my approach, people just believed I had all those things. Yeah. And thankfully, I had some uh, some good instincts, and I knew how to educate myself. And so I developed those skills. But I started by sort of putting the brand out there, even if I didn't have the substance to follow follow it through initially. Now, another thing that has been so useful to me um, throughout my career is I am, to, be, to, to just be uh, immodest about it, I am an inspiring and powerful public speaker. Yes. And so when I give a speech, I really work on it. I spend a lot of time on the words. I spend a lot of time on rehearsing because I know how people react to it. They love it. It inspires them. They feel good about what they're contributing. And so, um, I mean, I think that that there are lots of executive directors or CEOs in the nonprofit world in our movement who've done a lot. Uh, and they, that is not a skill that they have. But for those of us who have it, oh my God, it's such a benefit. Yeah, and how did you hone that skill? Because I used to think, oh my God, Lori, she's this amazing speaker. It's so off the cuff. And then I like looked one time and I was like, oh my God, she's got everything scripted out. You've got like, uh, you know, like every word, every pause, like really thoughtfully done. You know, how, how did you how did you build that skill? Well, when I was in college, I majored in communication at Arizona State University. And I spent a lot of time doing reader's theater which was the oral interpretation <laughs> of literature and public speaking. I was a teaching assistant in public speaking. And I sort of deviate from the, the, what is considered a best practice. As you said, I write every word. A lot of people just do talking points and then are more extemporaneous. I write every word. I rehearse it over and over and over again when I'm giving an important speech. I, put, I learn emphasis on a particular word. It's stronger if I do it this way than it is if I do it that way. As I begin to deliver it verbally, I rehearse in front of a mirror. I realize this line isn't working. I'm screwing it up every time or it's just not providing that punch. So that's how I do it. I just practice, practice, practice. And, and that's what I say to anybody who wants to be a better public speaker. Practice, rehearse. Talk to me a little bit about the professionalism piece. Like you wanted to to make the movement and the center feel more professional when you first came. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, there's a really funny story of when I first came. I arrived and they've just moved into this brand new building. And many of the staff were the most motley crew of people <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. There was no professional garb, uh, and yet here we were in this brand new building, and sexual harassment complaints started to come out through the woodwork from the past. And so here I am, I'd been a lawyer, and I was wearing skirted suits and heels and uh, dresses every day for, for my first number of years. Jason hasn't seen me in either of those things <laughs> ever, but back then... I was trying to up the game and uh, set an example. And so we had this training, the sexual harassment training. 
And this one guy stood up in the, uh, we would call the staff could fit in one room then. And he said, he was appalled by what we were saying. And he said, listen, I'm a proud, openly gay man. And I came to work at the center because I'm a proud, openly gay man. And if I want to put my hand on a colleague's ass, I should be able to do that. <laughs> wow. And so I was a lawyer, right? And I, I was a, had been a human resources lawyer. So I knew the law about sexual harassment. So I said to him, and the whole, the whole staff is looking to see, oh, how is she going to respond to that? <laughs> and so I said to him, uh, well, I appreciate that you're a proud, openly gay man. I, I want all queer people to be proud and open. But if that's why you came to work here, that's the wrong reason. We work here to serve our community. And we need to protect this organization that is so critical to serving our community. And putting your hand on somebody else's ass subjects the center to legal liability and makes us vulnerable. So if you can't jump on the bandwagon with what the law requires, then this is not the place for you. Wow. So several weeks later, maybe a month later, we were moving everybody into the, our new clinic. And uh, I was talking to staff, seeing how it was going. And I noticed that there was a picture over against the wall. And it was like a little boy uh, leading a horse. And there were big yellow stickies placed strategically on the painting. So I noticed that and I walked over to it to see what it was. And I realized in the background, I could hear noises. And, but I looked at the, at the painting and the painting was of a naked boy and a horse. And you could see his penis. And these stickies <laughs> were put over their private parts and it said, by order of Lori Jean and Ed Meese. <laughs> and Ed Meese was a Reagan administration appointee who put, uh, covered up uh, statues in Washington, D.C., yeah. where you could see people's private parts. So I began to howl with laughter and turned around while all the staff had scattered like quail. They were afraid to see me <laughs> see that. So there you go. That's that's one of my stories from the beginning. <laughs> and so it's such a great way to talk about being in LGBTQ plus Pride Month. But how have you always managed to bring your best authentic self to work and and bring who you are in terms of your sexual orientation in addition to other things? Well, you know, I think this is where the the relationship piece, I, I feel like virtually all of my success in fundraising, in, in recruiting fabulous board members, in, in motivating a staff has, has been about relationships. And, uh, and when you're in a relationship, they work best when you are authentic. And so, you know, humor is a huge part of, of my relationships. It, it can disarm people. It can make them, you know, feel more comfortable being warm, you know, uh, I'm the boss. Everybody knows I'm the boss. I don't have to lord it over everybody being the boss. I'm also just a regular dyke who, uh, <laughs> you know, wants to live a free life and who loves women and who loves my queer community. And I have a lot in common uh, with my my team, even if even if some of them are intimidated by me because I'm the boss. So, you know, I just try to be normal. And, and fun and, uh, and warm and honest. And, you know, sometimes I've, I've learned, if I've learned anything over the years, I've learned that I have a strength 
of personality, a power that can be intimidating. And so I have to try to be aware of that and temper it uh, with people who aren't used to dealing with, with me in that way. Yeah. And I know you talked about uh, wearing heels and skirt suits and all of that. And today I feel like you're known for your, uh, your Hawaiian aloha shirts. So, so uh, tell me about that signature style. Well, I was sent to Hawaii when I went to work for FEMA in the regional office early on, and I fell in love with it. And I have always aspired, uh, for a while I aspired to work in, in Hawaii, but I couldn't really get a good job there and certainly couldn't get a movement job there before I came to the center. But uh, I just love the spirit, the Aloha spirit. And so, and I love Hawaiian shirts. So uh, I now wear those all the time when I don't have an important meeting. And I thought that you and I were doing this on video today. So I wore (laughs) some professional drag, but I have to admit my Hawaiian shirt is hanging on the handle because I don't have any other important donor meetings today. So I'm going to change when we're done. Yeah, well, we need to get you a formal Aloha shirt for for those media appearances, right? Um, (laughs) So tell me, when you look back over your career, all of these years at the center, what is it that you're most proud of? When you are sitting in your home in Hawaii after you've retired in a couple of years, what's, what's the one thing that you'll be most proud of, of having accomplished or being part of? That's a tough question because I have been so fortunate uh, to have have had many, many successes. I mean, if I'm what I'm really good at is building teams of stars and Mm. who I've been able to surround myself with, whether that's on my staff or on the board. And we've achieved great things together. But this Anita Mae Rosenstein campus will always be sort of the pinnacle of accomplishment as a professional CEO. But on the other hand, what I'm most proud of is I have made it my passion to mentor many other leaders in our movement. And because I've been around for so long, I mean, the only other person who's been around longer than me is Paul Kawada, who runs the National Minority AIDS Council. I have helped a lot of newer younger leaders, and um, and they have gone on to do fantastic things. And I, I don't have kids, and I take great, I call them my chicks, even <laughs> though they're not all, they're not all young, but uh, my chicks have gone on to do phenomenal things. And they were doing, doing them when they came to my attention, but I was able to, to help them, and I take great pride in playing that role. That, that is probably what I will miss more than anything else. Now, uh, I cannot believe it's been almost 10 years since we did the rebranding of of the Los Angeles LGBT Center, right? And and at that time, I mean, this was that was a huge undergoing. We had a huge committee, you were leading it, we had an agency. What did you learn about branding from going through that really two-year process to build the current brand? You know, I had no idea how complicated it was to develop a brand. And, you know, the, the agency, the experts that were working with us took us through all these exercises that Jason, I've now seen you do uh, at <laughs> conferences that I attend. And, and I know you've done it with, with other uh, LGBT organizations that you've been helping and you really break it down to the fundamentals. And then from the fundamentals of what, what 
comprises your organization, that begins to give you the the golden nuggets that you need to emphasize. And I didn't realize how you did it. I didn't realize how much time it would take and the importance of having a a lot of different voices at the table to help. And what's been the big impact for you to have, you know, this brand that, that you've had now for really the past 10 years? You know, I still love it. It's, uh, I mean, I love the logo. I love all the work we did behind the brand that never, nobody ever sees, but that, you know, when someone like you, an expert helps people develop a brand, you don't just give us the new name and the logo or even the tagline or the mission statement. You give us a whole bunch of material that guides how we communicate in every arena. I mean, it's hard to keep people on message when you're a big organization with 10 different locations and 800 staff, but, but that brand guide has really, really helped us. And so... And so over the years, you and the center have helped, I'm sure, hundreds of thousands of clients and individuals. What is one client story or one success story that really resonates with you? Well, I'll tell a good one. There's a young woman who, on her, she was a lesbian, and on her 18th birthday, her mother put her in the car and put some clothes and a few other things in a pillowcase and took her downtown and kicked her out on Skid Row. Said, you're 18 now, you're a lesbian, you violate my religion, you can't be a part of our family. And this young woman who was a a little bit developmentally disabled, uh, stood there on the sidewalk and cried and and pleaded with her mother not not to leave her, but her mother left her. And there she was in a very dangerous neighborhood at the time with with all kinds of unsavory characters. And thank goodness the mom had at least dropped her in front of a homeless shelter. And there was a worker of the shelter who saw what happened and went and caught the, got this young woman before someone far more problematic got their hands on her. Took her into the adult shelter and realized what had happened, and this kid doesn't belong in an adult shelter. I'm calling the Los Angeles LGBT Center because we operate an emergency shelter for homeless uh, queer youth, among other things. And she called us, and thankfully, we had room for that young woman uh, that day. Usually, we are full, and we don't have room. But the story, I think we might have even put her on a cot the first night. And we got her in, and she was brokenhearted, just brokenhearted. And We were unsuccessful in reuniting her with her family, but we were successful in helping her finish her high school education and in getting her a decent job and uh, ultimately helped her get independent housing with other roommates and set her on the path. And every time this, this young woman lived with us for 18 months before she went out on her own, and every time I saw her, she was so sweet and kind and nice. And I just thought to myself, how in the world could any feeling, thinking human being kick out a kid as nice as this? And thank God she had the LA Center. And we have kids coming from all over the country to us because they don't have a, a center in their own hometown. Thankfully, we have a lot more centers now across the country where people can get help. So as we close out, Lori, a couple of quick, fun questions. 
What is your favorite brand since we were talking about your brand? What brand can you not live without? Oh, my goodness. My Apple laptop. Ooh. And why, why do you love it? I love how it feels. I love how it looks. I love the little lighted, you know, Apple that's on the top of the screen. I love how intuitively it works and that it gives me access to the world virtually anywhere I am. Mm. Now, if you were a type of car, what type of car would Lori Jean be? Oh, my goodness. I would be that new electric Ford truck. Oh, and why? (laughs) I learned to drive in a Ford pickup. (laughs) Uh, And I drive an electric car, an all electric car. And so when that came out, even though I really don't want a pickup truck anymore, I feel like that combines my youth and, and who I am today. Yes, I've got that country hick that will always be in me, but I I try to adapt with the newest uh, technology when I can. Still a cowboy at heart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you wrapped that up perfectly, Jason. Perfectly. Still a cowboy at heart. Finally, Lori, um, what is the best career advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? Well, first of all, I would say be brutally honest with yourself about where you need to improve. And don't, you may not be completely honest with everybody around you about what you can or cannot do, but be honest with yourself. Then give thought to where you really want to go and who can help you get there. And then go to some of those people and ask them to advise you, to be your mentor. Get them invested in your success. Those things will stand you in in very good stead in advancing in your career. Yes. So be honest. Know where you want to go and ask for help. Well, Lori Jean, it's been such a pleasure. Happy LGBTQ plus Pride Month. Happy Pride Month to you too, Jason. And every time I see you, you're always, you have so much positive energy. And I think that uh, your volunteer work and even the work you're doing like this epitomizes what pride is about. And so I'm really happy uh, to be a part of this. Well, thank you, Lori. And thank you for everything you do for our community. And I'll be back in just a few moments with some final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better person to close out LGBTQ plus Pride Month than Lori Jean, the CEO of the Los Angeles LGBT Center, the world's largest organization serving our community. You know, Lori has so much amazing career advice, but when I think about it, I'm really touched by the fact that she is all about aligning her great talents, all of her skills and abilities with with her passions. And you know, I've talked about this before. 
You have got to figure out what is the intersection of your passions and your talents and then find where there is a need. Where is a need in your organization? Where is there a need in your industry? Or in Lori's case, where is there a need in your community? If you can find yourself in the center of that Venn diagram, you have got an amazing recipe for career success. Well, that is our show for today. This is the end of LGBTQ+. Pride Month. If you've loved all of our shows, make sure that you hit follow or subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow me on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms and check me out on LinkedIn because I share tons of practical tools and tips to help you lead with your brand. And check out leadwithyourbrand.com backslash pride to get our entire Pride on Brand collection. We've got over a dozen and amazing leaders in business who just happen to be LGBTQ+. And of course, we have our two special episodes in partnership with Out and Equal. You can check out our intersection of race and LGBTQ+, at work, as well as our special episode on transgender in the workplace. And remember, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.